0: It's go time! Much has gone on in the CFL the last two weeks, and two offensive coordinators now have changed in two different cities. Let's unpack it and see where it takes us. Hi everybody, welcome to 3rd Down Gamble, Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Last week we talked about Jerry's Jackson in as offensive coordinator in Edmonton. Now we turn east and see that Tommy Condell and the Hamilton Tiger Cats have agreed to part ways. Thoughts on that transaction and Scott Milanovic now taking over.
1: Much like Stephen McAdoo in Edmonton, it's not like Tommy Condell has forgot how to call an offense. He's been in the CFL a long time with the Tiger Cats for 10 seasons, change was needed. The Cats through eight games have only scored 160 points. Yes, they've had some quarterbacking issues, but their inability to consistently establish a running game to take pressure off of that quarterback does fall a bit to the offensive coordinator as well. I firmly believe that both head coaches that have made these changes are on some thin ice, being Chris Jones and... Orlando Steinauer as well. We'll see what happens. Scott Milanovic has a pretty lengthy pedigree in the CFL, a proven winner as well. He takes over an offense that needs a spark. And whether that comes from him or somewhere else remains to be seen, but they needed to to get something going.
0: Milanovic, of course, uh, was with the Montreal Alouettes in 09 and 10 and won gray cups with them. He goes over to Toronto in 2012, wins in his first season with the Argonauts as their head coach in the 100th anniversary game that was played at uh, SkyDome. Now, we tend to think of Tommy Condell as being with the Ticats for 10 consecutive years, but there was an interruption in 2016 he left the team. We went to Toronto for a couple of seasons, won a gray cup with the Argonauts, and then came back to Hamilton in 2019 and has been there ever since one knows that as you mentioned the uh, offensive stats in terms of just plain scoring that Condell was in trouble the Tiger Cats can kick field goals to the cows come home but when the other team is scoring touchdowns uh, like we saw the Alouettes do to them twice you're not winning many football
1: games Uh, you can't be outscored six to three on every scoring drive that's exactly it and We're at the midway point or just about the midway point of the season. Playoff spots are very much up for grabs in the East right now. Toronto has separated a little bit from the rest of the teams in first place, but you've got Montreal, Ottawa, and Hamilton within a couple of games of each other. So if you can string those wins together, you start creeping up and maybe getting into that Grey Cup game on home field isn't so much of a pipe dream as it looked Like it was earlier on in in the season.
0: Hamilton has that over top of them all the time. They can deny all they want about the pressure of having that game in Hamilton in November, but it's there, it's facing them. Scott Milanovic is one type of guy that has been through those rigors with Toronto in 2012, with that game facing them, and they made it and won it. If he can bring some of that experience to these Tiger Cats and certainly settle down that offense. One of the things that Milanovic is noted for is bringing along quarterbacks. Quarterbacks under his tutelage typically are in all-star nomination categories. You saw that with Anthony Calvillo, even though he was nearing the end of his career. He had phenomenal years with Milanovic as his offensive coordinator. We saw from the Argonauts, the burgeoning of Zach Kolaris, Trevor Harris. They were all there with Milanovic and look at the careers they've had since. There is a lot of opportunity now for the Tiger Cats to maybe turn this around. The big question ultimately is, given that Taylor Powell now is the man in charge, given injuries to the other two quarterbacks that they have, is he going to be enough with Milanovic's help to carry
1: them? That is the hope. I haven't seen enough of Taylor Powell yet to really form a strong opinion one way or the other. They do have Kai Loxley in an interesting situation as well as a receiver slash quarterback. It might be a really great opportunity for Scott Milanovic to mix things up a little bit and maybe get some trickery in there with those two guys. You you never know it. And given where they are right now and the push to make something happen, Kyle Loxley, we know is explosive as a receiver, but he is a capable quarterback too. So it's going to be fun to watch and see what develops. Dare we think that, and I'm just throwing it out
0: as an idea, but is Condell taking some of the heat for what happened to Boole, Levi Mitchell on the second last play against Ottawa? Is this sort of, we can't have this happen? And it's been speculated wildly who made the decision. Was it Bo taking it on himself? Was it Condell? Given that the package that they sent out was a running package, basically the big team came out. Then it was going to be a quarterback sneak. Why did you have to do it? As we said here on this show, you have two yards. You just needed to go to knee or to ground on the one and you were fine. You would have got out of that game. But The decision was taken for whatever reason, and as much as Orlando Steinhauer tried to defend it, we're starting to see now maybe that there were cracks in this veneer and that perhaps as being an honorable man, he wouldn't take it out on his OC, but realizing too that there was some recompense
1: coming. That's a very strong possibility. And the verbiage used in the announcement today was that they've mutually agreed to part ways. I have a hard time believing that it's a perfect amicable split in situations where this type of of wording is used. It may have very well been, here's an opportunity for you to step down before we do something else to make that decision for you. Sad to see Tommy Condell go. I, I don't doubt that he will be back in the CFL at some capacity somewhere down the road, but... There's a lot of money invested in Bo Levi Mitchell for the amount of playing time that they've got out of him this season. He's on the six-game injured list now for the second time. So your return on investment keeps getting smaller and smaller as those games tick by. It's also a question of mine is if you're an Edmonton Elk and
0: you're seeing Scott Milanovic now take over as the OC in Hamilton, given that you paid him a coach's salary for a year that didn't happen do you kind of go,
1: ugh? <laughs> yeah, let's not forget he was undefeated as head coach of the Edmonton Elks. There, there must be a few of those questions, a few of those what-ifs in Edmonton. He, he left during the cancelled season to pursue interests south of the border. Now we find him back in the CFL. He's the one that got away, but you can't really blame anybody in the situation that occurred for, for why he left. There was no season there was no team there was no league to coach in and he had to do what he felt was best and he's circled back to the CFL once again. Uh, Chris Jones being another one who went down to the states
0: with Cleveland and now has come back to coach the Elks. Opportunities avail if you're open to them. Player safety it's something that we've talked about a lot and the strides that have been made in the Canadian Football League to keep players on the field but As we start looking at the attrition in the quarterbacking spot, it's becoming readily apparent that something more needs to be done, not necessarily that it becomes a touch football situation where you just touch them and and it's considered a sack, something that has to be addressed even further. And I'm going to go point to the game between BC and Winnipeg in Winnipeg last week, where Adam Bighill, he plays to the whistle, he plays hard, but... In this circumstance, he gets Dane Evans on the outside toward the sideline. Evans throws the ball. Big Hill finishes the play. Nothing illegal about starting this, but where it ends is where the problem begins. Big Hill pancakes Evans onto the ground. Evans comes up clutching his ribs right away. This has to be a play that has to be changed in the Canadian Football League. It has to be weeded out. I'm not accusing Big Hill of intent to injure by any stretch. He
1: do, he played by the rules, but the rule has to change. It does. We've seen now starting quarterbacks drop like flies across the league. Jake Merrick, Cody Fajardo, Zach Calaris, and Chad Kelly are the only ones still remaining that have started every game for their team this season, and we're not even to the halfway point. Another... Aspect of this that I see regularly is, and it's the competitive competitiveness of the quarterbacks that is one of the biggest keys is that they refuse to go down when they're wrapped up and the referees and officials allow the play to continue to where they're trying to scramble and and end up getting in a worse situation than had the whistle blown. It almost needs to be an in the grasp and the whistle blows a bit sooner than we're seeing if they really want to protect those stars.
0: If I go to the NFL rule book, and this is, their interpretation is, or describing the quarterback as a defenseless player. In other words, you've just released the ball. There's nothing else you can do to protect yourself. Their rule is Article 11, paragraph b a rushing defender is prohibited from committing such intimidating and punishing acts such as stuffing a passer into the ground or unnecessarily wrestling or driving him down after the passer has thrown the ball when tackling a passer who's in a defenseless posture a defensive player must not unnecessarily or violently throw him down or land on top of him with all or most of the defender's weight that is their demarcation line You can still get to him, but once you're there, that's it. You can knock him over, but get off of him. Adam Big Hill landed right on top. Now, could he have avoided it? I don't know. It's hard to say. His momentum was going. But if he had the knowledge that I can't do this, he might have chosen a different attack angle.
1: attack angle was exactly what I was going to say on this one, Don. It's so hard to change when you're in motion, especially you've got these guys that are, 220 to 260 pounds going at pretty much full speed and your expectation is for them to be able to pull up or stop, the contact is still going to happen. It's how that contact is followed through, which is where the protection comes into play. And absolutely, I believe that Big Hill in this situation could have changed enough to not land directly on top of Dane Evans and could have possibly kept him in this game. Four
0: quarterbacks
1: have made it this far. Two of them now are up for grabs.
0: Cody Fajardo has a shoulder problem that he picked up in his last game against the Tiger Cats. Chad Kelly injured his ankle against the Stampeders. Are we going to see two quarterbacks left that started the season as the starter with their team (laughs) still playing next weekend?
1: It's quite possible. The indication is Chad Kelly will start but any sign of discomfort or trouble and I would anticipate him being pulled back from that game to protect him for the rest of the season. I don't know if it's rest of the
0: season or they do have a bye coming up. So if you do not play Kelly against Ottawa, they've technically got nine days off between their game in Calgary and the game in Toronto and then they have the bye the following weekend. So You could say that Cameron Dukes is ready enough. Maybe he gave enough against Calgary to show that he could start. It would be best if you're going to decide that to let him get first team reps and let him go forward with that. If you're the CFL and you're marketing this league and the NFL has the same problem where backups by midseason are in abundance running the teams, it just doesn't have a great look when your star players are watching the game alongside you hoping
1: for the best. And, and on the flip side, we are getting to see some development of some surprising quarterbacks like Dustin Crum, Taylor Powell, Mason Fine, getting their opportunities. And we talk a lot about the future of the CFL and the future stars of this league. Unfortunately for those anointed number one guys, sometimes it takes an injury to them to get somebody else a chance to shine.
0: It's fantastic that these players do get their opportunity, but you want them to be able to finish the season if their opportunity comes. And if they are wiped out, take a look at Hamilton. Take a look at Ottawa. How many quarterbacks are on the shelf that could have been playing that are injured right now? It's not something that you want. And I and I don't know, other than following the NFL rule on pancaking, I don't know what else you can do. The CFL is very strict about contact around the legs, contact above the shoulders. It's just the nature of the beast. Do you allow more holding maybe to protect these quarterbacks? One thing that we saw in spades this past weekend was the futility of quarterback sneaks. Other than Tommy Stevens in Calgary, teams are struggling with quarterback sneaks to the point that Jake Dalagala on a second down fumbles the football and the ball is taken back for a touchdown by Davis Coleman in the fourth quarter for Ottawa. Terrell Pigram gets stuffed on a third down. I've said repeatedly like why are we doing this? Why do teams feel that a quarterback sneak is your best option? You have no way for the defense to think you're doing anything but. Now, Ottawa did, to their credit, try a pass on second and, and short, and Pigram came close to making the, the play with Jalen Acklin But that is a one-off. Almost invariably, these guys are going over a spot in the line. There's no deception whatsoever. The defense knows what's coming. And if you're going to play it like that, you're asking for failure.
1: Analytics and statistics have become such a big part of pro pro sports in general so the stats still must indicate that the quarterback sneak is your best percentage to get the first down although it's trending the other way we see a few more of these stops by the defensive line and maybe some creativity starts to sneak back in a little bit i, I certainly hope so Line up in the eye. Give your running back a running start to hit that line with some momentum. The the quarterback sneak is basically he's under center and trying to push forward against a force that's pushing back against him. And it's really become luck of the draw. Either you pick the right hole or the middle linebacker picks the right hole and stops you. It's becoming more of a coin flip than it should be. There's a lot of other possibilities of ways to pick up one yard. I understand the risk involved in throwing, but there are certainly running backs and fullbacks and receivers on a sweep and so many other options that can come into play to pick up your yard. You mentioned the term fullback, and this is what
0: used to be the case where you'd have a running back in the backfield that you could go either side. The fullback would line up, but typically you would follow that fullback. So it gives you an extra blocker. So if your offensive lineman is engaged with a defensive lineman, the linebacker is coming through. There's the fullback to meet him. There's still going to be a gap to get that first down and more. George Reed made a career out of third and one. Why is it as a league they have gone away from this way of getting first downs? There's just nothing novel about what's going on it's basically starting to be weighted in favor of the defense because guess what? They've been practicing too.
1: Second down.
0: We started a review of last week with the BC Lions in Winnipeg. The Lions had gone into Winnipeg and won earlier in the season, 30-6. to Well, somebody had revenge on their mind, even though they wouldn't admit to it. And two quick strikes from Zach Galaris immediately puts... Winnipeg out in front, and they literally roll over the BC Lions 50-14. to Huge statement received from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.
1: Going into this game, the BC Lions defense was on a record pace, having only given up five touchdowns through their first six games. The Bombers more than doubled that total and, and scored six touchdowns in this game alone. The Stars were... In full force for the Bombers. We had Dalton Schoen with a couple of touchdowns. Nick Dembski with a touchdown. Brady Oliveira with two touchdowns. The list goes on. All of the guys that you expected to show up for Winnipeg came in and did their jobs. Zach Kolaris, 369 yards. Everything was working for Winnipeg. The defense had a fantastic game as well. The only... Real hole I saw was in their kick and punt return coverage. BC had a couple of pretty lengthy returns, but otherwise it was all bombers in this one. Claris put up
0: those 369 and just 19 completions. That's almost a 19-yard per completion run rate. On the other side, Dane Evans, who was injured early, gutted it out, went 12 of 21 for 119. Dom Davis came in to finish the game 8 of 18. 76 yards, of course, two interceptions by Evans hurt. The Bombers from literally the first drive when they just marched the field and then boom, hit a deep one and then took the ball again and boom, hit a deep one. It made BC's vaunted defense look
1: very ordinary. That's something that we have seen the Bombers attempt quite often this season, not always working out, but they are not afraid to take those deep shots early in the game and it worked out for them in this one. Kenny Lawler in his second game back after his suspension and and legal issues getting straightened out looks like that dangerous weapon that we were expecting. 200 yards receiving, almost hauled in another pass. It led to a large pass interference penalty setting up a score as well. So Lawler has set himself some lofty goals. He's on his way if he can keep this pace. He's another one
0: of these 2,000-yard receiving guys where he thinks that he can do it. Given that he put up 200 against the Lions, I would put more stock in his ability to make it than right now Dylan Mitchell. However, with a change of quarterback in Edmonton, Dylan Mitchell may find that his stats go way up too. This could be an interesting race between these two if it does come to pass.
1: I would put money on on the under of either of them reaching 2,000 yards this season, but Right now, even having missed a few games, I would take Lawler to win the the receiving yardage race between these two. That'd be a
0: pretty reasonable bet. Winnipeg, of course, now with the win, ties the Lions in the West for first place. But by virtue of the size of the win, they take this series lead and also have the tiebreaker in their favor. But there is one more game between these two coming up in British Columbia. That is going to decide first place once and for all. Friday night at McMahon Stadium, the Calgary Stampeders make a statement. Despite struggling in the first quarter, they put it together and eventually roll over the Toronto Argonauts 20-7. Chad Kelly getting injured did not help Toronto at all. The Argonauts had just tied the game with a 76-yard completion touchdown to Cam Phillips, and it looked like they were going to get back in the game, and then Kelly gets hurt At the start of the second quarter, Cameron Dukes is called into action. So Kelly is 4 of 8 for 94 yards. Cameron Dukes goes 8 of 15 for 63 in a pick. Jake Mayer, 22 of 24 for 149 yards. Stellar accuracy. Not a lot of
1: points. It was a bit of a conservative game as you mentioned, very accurate, completing 22 of 24 passes for Jake Mayer. They didn't force the ball down the field, but they didn't get into a situation where they really had to. Toronto came back with that quick touchdown in the first quarter. It looked like it was going to be a bit of a shootout. Chad Kelly goes down to injury and Cameron Duke steps in. Jake Mayer did a great job of protecting the ball and doing what he had to do to win the game without getting himself or his team in any kind of trouble. Diedrich Mills went off.
0: 27 carries for 157 yards. We had mentioned on this program that Calgary's running game was sorely lacking. They found it against the Argonauts. The Argonauts had a pretty stout run defense going into that game. For the Argos, they were trying to win their seventh in a row, something they hadn't done in 102 years. As it is, they stop at six wins to start the season. Last time they did that, 1935, Interestingly, they lost their last three of that season and didn't make the playoffs. Only the top team in the division made the
1: playoffs that year. Turned out to be the Hamilton Tigers. Toronto's defense certainly didn't lose them this game. They conceded 20 points on the night, and most nights, 20 doesn't necessarily get you a win in the CFL. I believe this really kind of came down to that injury to Chad Kelly. The Argonauts want to be cautious with a player of his caliber. They don't have a very deep quarterback room, and that was proven with Cameron Dukes stepping in here. So it's a, a situation where they need Chad Kelly on the field at all costs at this point. We'll see what happens. They've got a test coming up against the Ottawa Redblacks this week. Without Kelly in the lineup, that one could be a low-scoring affair.
0: Perhaps the Argos have bought themselves some time by going six in a row to start the season. If they wanted to be even more cautious with Chad Kelly, they could let him rest out that game against Ottawa with the bye following almost three weeks where he's got an ability to heal up. And I wonder if the Argonauts might
1: feel that's more important. The the next game would be August 25th at home against the Calgary Stampeders. So that is quite the layoff and the opportunity to heal up some nagging injuries. Saturday. The
0: Alouettes go into Hamilton to take on the Tiger Cats. The Tiger Cats have a great first half; they're leading 11 to three at halftime. The Alouettes' offense is stumbling; they're making mistakes, they're throwing interceptions. But in the second half, the script is flipped, and the Alouettes score 18 fourth-quarter points to Hamilton's nothing and win the game, going away 27 to 14. Many people were questioning what was happening with the Hamilton offense in the second half. Given that they had so much success in the first half, they just disappeared after the third quarter started.
1: Halftime adjustments are a real thing, and Montreal made the right ones. Cody Fajardo had one of his better games of the season, I thought, as well, especially that second half. He led a couple of big scoring drives, and really took that leadership role that that we were hoping to see from Cody as his team shifted from Saskatchewan to Montreal this season. This was the best performance so far. Penalties were killers for
0: the Tiger Cats and think back to one in the third quarter where there's a roughing the kicker call against the Tiger Cats. The play to Regis Sibasu was a backbreaker that busted the score open. It was types of situations where the defense thinks they've got themselves off the field.
1: This was the game. Maybe the second half was a little bit more that led to the departure of Tommy Condell that we talked about getting shut out in the fourth quarter when the other team's putting up 18 points and starting to pull away does not win you much favor. As we said, Hamilton can't afford to lose ground in that tight East division especially against a team like Montreal, who's right there in the mix. I know that Tommy
0: Condell is taking a bit of the hit for this. Hamilton really seemed to turtle in the second half. The passes got shorter, the risks got smaller, the play calling got more conservative. And once James Butler was having a little bit of trouble finding holes, it seemed like they were lost all of a sudden. They didn't have an alternate way of trying to address what Montreal was doing to them.
1: That's very much the the case. We talked about Jake Mayer and his safe plays. Taylor Powell didn't have a terrible night. 20 for 31, 202 yards, but he did throw two interceptions and that was the key. Once you lose that ball protection, those mistakes start to pile up and it's hard to come back from.
0: Cody Fajardo, as you said, great night. 19 to 25 for 318. We're seeing Zach Calera's type numbers where it's almost 20 yards per catch every time the ball is caught. That is a, that's a deal breaker in so many senses because if you're getting a first down every time you're catching a pass, it's making it very difficult for the defense to stop you when you're just rolling down the field that easily. You talked about halftime adjustments. The biggest one was the, the Hamilton offense, that they went away from what was working. Sunday night and what proved to be the game of the weekend, the Ottawa Red Blacks and Dustin Crum, who lives for last-second heroics, loses this time to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders 26-24 in a game that will have some heads scratched over decisions taken. Namely, Ottawa in the final minute is at the one-yard line of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Do you settle for a field goal
1: or do you go for the gusto and take the lead with a touchdown? They're going to get a lot of criticism for this decision. The fact remains that going into that drive... They were trailing. They came out of that drive leading with less than a minute left in the game. You take the points that you're sure of had they got stuffed and Saskatchewan took over on downs. They're one first down away from the game being over anyway. I believe it was the right decision. Take the points, get the lead, and it's up to your defense to hold them. Unfortunately for the Red Blacks, there was a big return a couple of plays to get positive yardage and Brett Lother with a 54 yarder to win the game. It happens in the CFL. You can't leave the other team too much time left on the clock. That was the case in this one, but they didn't have an opportunity to run any more time off. On a previous drive, Ottawa had gambled on third in
0: a yard and a half and didn't make it. There's some thought that given the extra distance that they would have been better served taking the field goal attempt... In that circumstance the other thing they could have done is sent Pigram out there and tried to get saskatchewan to be drawn offside even if you go so far as take a time count violation the worst thing that happens to you because it's already third down is you get moved back 10 yards well now the field goal is from the 18 not the eight
1: not a big deal oh don't get me wrong i would have loved to have seen them go for it the excitement of a last minute goal line stand opportunity would have got everybody out of their seats cooler heads need to prevail from time to time had they gone for it and scored bob dice and that team would look like geniuses had they gone for it and got stuffed they'd have been crucified for making the wrong call you can't fault the team for kicking the points and taking the lead you can fault them for not making a special teams tackle when they needed to do it And you can fault them for giving up those extra yards to allow Lothar to get into field goal position. Brett Lothar has struggled a bit this season, especially on long field goals. So it was no sure thing either. Time and again, he has proven to be a clutch kicker when the ball is on the tee and it's the last play of the game. Lothar generally does come through and he did it once again.
0: For Mason Fine, it's his first win as a starter with the Saskatchewan Roughriders, despite the fact that he has played very well in three other games. Mason Fine goes 23 of 37 for 296 yards and one touchdown pass to Sean Bain. Meanwhile, Dustin Crum, 16 of 20 for 174. No INTs, no touchdowns. This was one of the the question marks leveled towards their offensive coordinator, Kahari Jones. Was he being too conservative or was Dustin Crum being a typical rookie quarterback hanging onto the ball far too long?
1: One place where credit needs to be given here is that defensive line of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as well. Anthony Lanier had himself a game with five tackles and three quarterback sacks. They stepped up when they needed to and we've seen Dustin Crum take over games with his legs. One thing that the Calgary Stampeders showed with spying Cam Judge on him is if you get somebody to take that away, he is still a young quarterback. You're now putting it on his arm as opposed to his ability to scramble. The Riders' defense really stepped up and, and did what they had to do to keep him in check. That Rough Riders' defense has improved week to week to week.
0: When we think back to the game in British Columbia a few weeks ago, it was the defense that kept the team in the game. Jason Shivers is really got that group working well together, and their stats have improved every time out. Their sack totals were a little bit low, but team like Ottawa, who had pretty much led the league in fewest sacks allowed, got lit up. For the Rough Riders, they're 4-4, four and four, but the schedule does not get any easier for them. They've got to find wins where they can, because they're getting into the
1: meat of their schedule. Dustin Crum, as I mentioned, kept in check only four carries for 21 yards in this one, where we've seen him scamper around that 100-yard mark on a couple of occasions previously. Again, that that defense, Micah Tights and the linebacking core did a fantastic job of not allowing him to beat them with his legs. Once again, though, I have to give credit for Dustin Crum. He stays calm and he has been in every game. They've had an opportunity to win every game that he has been the quarterback of note. And I'm excited to watch him continue to grow in that role as a starting quarterback in this league. Ottawa Red Blacks are must-watch TV. Third down.
0: Action starts on Thursday night with the Edmonton Elks returning to the field, most likely bringing out Trey Ford as their starting quarterback. Against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Bombers are 12 and a half point favorites going into this game. Teams on the bye have won all but one game coming out of the bye. Can the Elks, who have lost 21 straight at
1: home, end it here? Anything's possible. The change of quarterbacks with Trey Ford coming in does provide a bit of a change, a bit of a different look for the Edmonton Elks. We saw Winnipeg struggle earlier with Dustin Crum as a scrambling and running quarterback. Trey Ford brings a little bit of that ability into this one. But you have to look at that offense for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They've got everybody healthy on offense now that they were hoping to have at the start of the season. And all they did was hang 50 on the best defense in the league. I like the Bombers to take this one. That losing streak continues at home for the Edmonton Elks.
0: You're sticking true to your word. Until Edmonton wins at home, you're not going to take them at home. It's a tough out for Edmonton to try to win this one, even with the extra time to prepare for it. Jerry Jackson, of course, is going to have his stamp on this team beginning with this game. Is it going to be enough to get this team excited and motivated to beat the Blue Bombers? That's Going to be interesting. Of course, let's play. Let's look back to last year, though. Winnipeg went into Edmonton and struggled mightily. Still won the game. If I'm not mistaken, Zach Galaris
1: completed eight passes. Yeah, it was his worst performance completion-wise uh, as a starting quarterback in the league. At the end of the day, they got the win. It wasn't pretty, but sometimes you've got to win ugly. Friday night,
0: the Saskatchewan Rough Riders go into Montreal to take on the Alouettes. The Alouettes are four and a half point favorites. This really is going to come down to whether or not Cody Fajardo is going to play against his former team. Fajardo has an injury to his non-throwing shoulder. He played through it in Hamilton. Is he going to be healthy enough to go again or are we going to see Caleb Evans take over and how does that affect the line?
1: That would hugely affect the line if it's a difference between Fajardo and Caleb Evans. My instinct tells me that Cody is going to be fired up to play his former team. Both of these teams looked quite solid last week. I'm I'm excited for this one. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm going to give the edge to the Alouettes, but I think that the Rough Riders come in and they beat the spread. It's going to come down to a, a point or two in this one.
0: We know Montreal's defense is going to be good. If the Rough Riders can keep that momentum on defense... Saskatchewan could beat the spread, but I don't know if it'll be enough to win the game. Montreal is a very, very difficult park to win in. Saturday, Stampeders go into British Columbia to take on the Lions. The Lions, six and a half point favorites. Another question, who's going to be the starting quarterback in BC? It most likely will be Vernon Adams Jr. back at the helm. Dane Evans was injured against the Blue Bombers.
1: This one is, is intriguing to watch for those reasons that you mentioned. The Lions are not happy with the result in Winnipeg last week. I believe this one's going to be a strong bounce back game for them. If Vernon Adams is the starting quarterback, he's going to be fired up and ready to go. I like the Lions in this one to cover the spread at home against the Stampeders. Here's what the Lions have allowed in their game so far. They've allowed 15,
0: 0, 6, then 45. 19, 9, 0, then 50. Is there a pattern there? Maybe. (laughs) That means the Calgary will get a few points, but will it be enough? And if Vernon Adams Jr. is running the show, I would lean towards the Lions who are undefeated at home to win this game. And whether or not they cover is going to really come down to what Jake Mayer does. If he is the Jake Mayer that went 22 of 24 and not take unnecessary risks, then the Stampeders have a chance. And Markeith Ambles is back with the Stampeders. That's going to help.
1: But 22 of 24 for 170-some yards doesn't put a lot of points on the board necessarily either. But if you're running for 150, you don't have to throw for
0: 300. And this is where Diedrich Mills has got to really come out... This Lions defense, if you chuck away those losses to Toronto and Winnipeg, have barely given up 100 points all season. Final game. The road-weary Toronto Argonauts finally make it back to BMO Field. And you think, road-weary? Well, the Argos haven't played in Toronto since July the 3rd. In all of their games, they went 9,600 kilometers before they play (laughs) again at Toronto. Even though Halifax was a home game, Toronto had to travel to get there. Toronto is favored by three and a half right now. Whether that stays the same is all down to Chad Kelly. Are we going to see another backup start?
1: This one in my mind is the lowest scoring game of the week. I anticipate both defenses being ready to go. I'm... Liking the upset in this one, I think the Red Blacks have enough momentum right now that they are going to come in if Chad Kelly's unable to start or unable to complete the whole game. I like the Red Blacks in the upset.
0: Without Chad Kelly out there, it levels everything. You're right. Dustin Crum, every game he's out there, he should be getting more comfortable with what's happening on the field. Nothing should be phasing him, but he is playing a defense that's plus 14 in the turnover game. listening to our show third down gamble is hosted on PodBee and can be found on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify follow us on twitter at third down gamble join us again the third down gamble podcast audio worth watching
1: third down gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.